Uh, good morning, Nigel Sneed. It's lovely to have you on the show. I've wanted to get you on the show for a long time. It's a, You're a very busy man. I do try and move around a bit. <laughs> Keeps you young. I like it. So, Nigel, where are you at the moment? Adelaide. You're in Adelaide. And Adelaide is your, that is your home home. It's not your home away from home. That's my home base. Yep. Yeah, okay, beautiful. So, actually, just very quickly on that, what are the best restaurants in Adelaide at the moment? There are always some very, very top ones, in in your opinion. Uh, look, I'm... I'm partial to a little one just down the road from me called Shoshu, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful um, Japanese-influenced uh, restaurant, uh, very yes. casual. That's not, not very casual. No, it's, it, it's smart, but it's unpretentious, and they have a wonderful uh, series of small plates that just flow beautifully. You, you eat very yeah. well, and then you don't feel full coming out of it. Beautiful, and it has a pretty good wine list, I would assume. It does, and... Um, but, being the sort of person I am, I also do like BYO. Oh, I love a good BYO. And it, it just, yeah. it, I just don't come across them enough. And Queensland isn't, isn't huge with the BYO. So you can actually take BYO to this restaurant? Uh, you can. Um, you pay corkage. Pay corkage yes. everywhere. Um, yeah. And not not something to be abused. I mean, you don't go in there with a bottle which they have themselves or um, something which is readily available. It's got to be something mm. a bit different and out of the ordinary to justify Yeah, it. for yeah. sure. Yep, no, for sure. Look, I, as I mentioned before, I've really wanted to get you on. Of course, as a master of wine, you're very involved with uh, all the wine shows and judging. You would have seen the evolution of it. And very much we had previously, well, not actually met together, but we have worked at Accolade and, and that is no longer. I would love to hear from you. Tell us about your career today. Tell us how you got into wine, What, where your love for it started. Is That's probably a good place to start. Um, okay, well, you go back quite a few years, Julian, because um, <laughs> that's all I've ever worked in. I, I sort of stumbled into it by a total accident, uh, flicking through the pages of university courses in a book. We used to use books in those days, not Google. Um, <laughs> and my thumb stuck on the page of Anology. I thought, gee, that sounds interesting. What's Anology? And looked at it and thought, oh, yeah, it's a bit of science. There's a bit of agriculture. There's a bit of natural resources. Um, there's a bit of everything in there. Um, and I got more and more interested in that idea. My brother was uh, older than me by five years, and he he was interested in wine um, as a consumer. And I just said, yeah, that, that sort of sounds interesting. My parents were living overseas at the time in Europe, in Rome. Right. Uh, so I've been exposed to wine, you know, having wine around. Well, you know, we weren't um, going around wineries doing cellar doors, et cetera. Um, and then I decided, yeah, okay, well, the best way to start would be learn something about it. And I was advised to start working uh, as well as studying. And at the time, um, Charles Sturt University, which was back in those days, Riverina College of Advanced yes. Education, had just started up a wine science course, um, which was offered more by correspondence than by full-time, although they were both. And so I was able to start working in northeast Victoria at Brown Brothers and um, studying uh, part-time through Charles Sturt. Um, and that got me into it. It was a very good time. I mean, John Brown was uh, leading the winemaking then, and he was an uh, extremely talented uh, gentleman. And his assistant winemaker was Rick Kinsberger from Giaconda, which is legendary now. Um, um, yes, very. So it was it was just the perfect introduction to two very different schools of thought. You know, Rick had worked overseas quite a bit. Um, John mm-hmm. was uh, rooted in Australia. 
And those two opposing schools of thought were just so inspirational. Um, you know, you learned that there's not one way to do things. Yes. And then it just yes. went from there. Uh, you know, I worked after that work with the late Stephen Hickenbotham down in Geelong. And uh, that experience inspired me uh, to go overseas and study. So after studying at Charles Sturt, I, I then promptly up stumps and went to Dijon and studied in France. Oh, I um, love Dijon. Beautiful, beautiful little place. Wonderful city. And it was where there were, you know, people say, why did you go to Dijon, not Bordeaux, etc.? Well, it's because at the time, everybody in Australia was talking Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and mm -hmm. Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are both grown on Dijon's doorstep. So yes, 100%. It was a pretty easy choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that one, that, you know, set me up, because when I came back, I went to Western Australia, worked at Evans and Tate when it was still based in the Swan Ah, uh, Iconic, yep. Um, Iconic place, um, had a vineyard in Margaret River, but the winery was on the Swan. That was a wonderful two years. And then I started at the Australian Wine Research Institute, looking after the Extension and Industry Advisory Services Group. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so how did you was, get involved in that? Were you asked? Were you, were you just intrigued? Uh, you get involved? It was a position that be, it was, the position was set up um, four years before I started there. And right. the idea was that they would bring in a practicing winemaker um, with some sympathy to science uh, into the institute to form a, an interface between industry and research. Right. And right. Uh, I was the second person in that role. And then uh, it kept on going on that rotating sort of three to five year term for a few more periods and then sort of became a fixed position. Um, right. But I, I had my four years in there, which were great. And then after that, I went, spent a couple of years working half the year in Europe, half the year in Australia, um, you know, playing the hemisphere difference, yes. which is great. It sounds great, but it is a bit unsettling. <laughs> and I ended up then settling in France. I spent right. most, most of my last 30 years I've spent overseas. Wow. So whereabouts in France did you end up spending most of your time? Obviously, you've spent some time in Dijon. Yeah, I spent time in Dijon. Most of my time was in uh, the Languedoc area. Beautiful. So that whole sort of Narbonne, Bézier, Montpellier belt. Um, yes. The closest city was Barcelona. Um, you know, in those days you could drive it in just over two hours. Um, wow. So that was that was easy. Um, and, yeah, that, that was a great, great period. Also spent a bit of time in the Beaujolais area, um, which is one reason why I love good crew Beaujolais. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, so yeah, that, that was about had about ten years in France. Um, I've got dual citizenship, um, speak fluent French, so that was um, that was all, you know, very very educational. And so, it was was it quite hard to come back and completely settle one hundred percent back in uh, in South Australia, or were you just uh, was it time you were ready? It was, yeah. Uh, it's not. Uh, Australia's changed a lot. In the, in the 30 years that I was away, it had changed quite a lot. Um, unfortunately, when we came back, it was a few months before the whole country locked down for COVID. Right. Um, and that that sort of messed a lot of plans up. <laughs> uh, yes. Because I never expected to be locked in Australia, let alone locked in South Australia. No, um, no. So, you know, I, I went from gallivanting around the world because I'd when I was based in the UK, my job was essentially travel, and I travelled more than I was at home. And then when I went to California, I mean, California is is California. Um, you know, the US is mm -hmm. a lot like Australia in many ways, but it's also 
the sort of place where if you order something on Amazon in the morning, it's delivered that afternoon as opposed yeah. to three weeks later. <laughs> yeah, uh, things move a little so faster. So that was a rude, <laughs> rude shock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereabouts in California were you? I was in the Central Valley. It was inland. It was, you know, a bit like uh, inland Sunraysia here, um, but mm-hmm. it was very accessible to the coast and other things too. Yeah, yeah. I, I do love Tahoe. Look, you've actually just mentioned quite a few places that I've that I've spent a fair bit of time. As uh, my best friend lives over in San Francisco, it's a great part of the world. But yeah, it's just the, the similarities are abundant and the differences yeah. are abundant. It's it's just, it's just the, the way it goes. So since COVID, have you been uh, back traveling? Have you been over to Europe? What's what's been happening? I've been a couple of times. Um, I uh, went for Christmas last year. I did some travel there during summer last year uh, as things started opening up again, and it was wonderful to go back. Um, yes. It was also a glorious summer. But uh, I've not been since Christmas, so I don't know if I'll go back this year or not. Probably, I'll probably wait until next year, I think, and go for a longer period. So what's Christmas for you this year? You'll be staying in Adelaide? I don't know yet. I mean, we were planning to go to France until recently. I'm just not sure that it's a great idea to be travelling at the moment, honestly. Yeah, look, you know, staying home isn't such a bad idea. And on a fun note, what what is a what is a Christmas wine that you can't do Christmas without? What's what's going to be on the on the Christmas table? Uh, well, it depends what the food is, and that that'll depend yeah. whether it's in Northern Hemisphere or Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's always champagne. Uh, that's that's a given. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Can I ask what sort the, of champagne you're you're you're, you're really keen on? Um, look, I'm I like uh, Bilcar. Uh, yeah. I like uh, Bilcar Saumon. I think is is a classic. I like uh, Delamotte if you can find it. It's not so easy to mm-hmm. get here. Hard. Uh, yeah. And my my go-to is always Porrier vintage. Beautiful. Beautiful. Have you have you had the Paul? Um, okay, it's, my pronunciation will be appalling. The Paul Georg. I have not. No. Right. That's it's, it's a beautiful champagne. I was associated with it somehow. No, I haven't had that. No. <laughs> right. So that's why. Yeah, that was. I was wondering about. What about the Mark Hibrat? Very small production. Uh, I had uh, one bottle that only of 1,000 bottles. Um, that's near Epinay. Okay, anyway, I, I, I love my champagne. No. But, yes, no, keep going. So, so after yeah, champagne, champ- what Champagne's else? a given um, always. Mm-hmm. But then um, if there's oysters, and generally there are oysters, independent which hemisphere, then you've got to have Chablis on the table. Uh, uh-huh. Premier Cru Chablis, it's a given. Yeah, um, beautiful. And I do have a soft spot for Bordeaux, you know, classic Bordeaux, so you can get one. You know, the 2004s are drinking beautifully at the moment, so it'd probably be yes. 2004 Bordeaux in there somewhere. Yes. Um, and then it will, you know, depend on what else is on the table. If, if there's foie gras, then there'll be Saturn. Um, and for Christmas pudding type things, probably a Madeira or, uh, you know, an old Rizalt or something equivalent to that. Yes. So it actually, there is quite a French theme going on. And actually, I think the whole show today has been quite a French theme. Um, hardly surprising when you've spent so much time over there. I've got a question for you about the um, the Jimmy Watson, which was only announced a couple of days ago, uh, going to a, a low stoft in Tasmania for the La Maison Pinot Noir 21. Are you acquainted with their wines? I am. I believe I tasted it at the Adelaide show, which was a few weeks before. Um, I always make a point of tasting, or it depends which show I'm at, but I generally like to taste the Pinot class. Um, yes. And 
I do remember there was Lowestoft there, yes. I remember, I mean, they've been making very good wines for a while. It's great to see them get the recognition of the Jimmy. Um, yeah, I thought so too. Mm. You get, uh, you know, the Lowestoft making very good wines, Bay of Fires are making extremely good wines and have been consistently. Penny um, Jones does a great job. Yeah, yep. Penny, Penny's fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, really got a, a dream team and uh, do a fantastic job down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I look just Tasmanian wines on the whole. Well, we're speaking about lovely uh, Tasmanian you know, sparklings um, oh, yeah. before. They're just they're just beautiful. Oh, the, a Riesling, a Pinot, a sparkling from Tasmania. Boom. Happy days. And yeah. yeah. um, so I actually had a, a text in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from Christopher. Thank you, Christopher, and good morning. Christopher said, hi, Jill. I have a couple of bottles of the Low Stock La Maison Pinot Noir, an incredible wine, fast becoming one of Australia's iconic Pinots. So, so Nigel, just to uh, just to wrap up, what's, what, what's on for the rest of the year for you? Rest of the year in 2024, how are they shaping up? Uh, it's wrapping up pretty quickly. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's frightening how fast time goes. I've, I've got uh, this week I'm up in Mildura all week for the Alternative Varieties uh, Wine Show judging. Wow, um, okay. And that's, that's, that's a great little show um, that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, so that the, the classes are all based around uh, varieties that are not mainstream. So Fianos, Montepulcianos, Anianicos, et cetera, et cetera, uh, et cetera. Um, yes. Really looking forward to that. Uh, then I'm doing some consulting with a small winery in the Barossa where we've got to get the, the 22s out of barrel and ready for bottling. Um, and that'll take nice. us pretty much up until Christmas. Yep. And then early next year, uh, getting ready for vintage. I mean, winemaking is really uh, two or three months Doesn't of vintage stop. and the rest of the year getting ready for the next one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I uh, think, God, you you guys are doing it. Well, look, I'd, I'd love us to keep in touch. Um, I'm going to continue following you and stalking you if that's okay. And yeah, uh, yeah good absolutely. luck with all the vintage. <laughs> Thank you. Have a wonderful Christmas. Um, you know, I, I would love to be a guest at your table. I think a 2004 Bordeaux sounds pretty sensational, followed by a lovely <laughs> Sauterne. But Nigel, thank you so much for your time. Um, wonderful to have you on the show. And I will definitely be in touch with you in the future. Great. Thanks very much, Julian. Okay. Thank you, Nigel. Okay. That was uh, Nigel Sneed, Master of Wine, all round fabulous guy. I could chat to him for hours.